Good morning. It's a good day to be in the house. If you're joining us on live stream, thank you for joining us today. Uh, well, I think it's Super Bowl Sunday. I had to get that out of the way because, I mean, you know, at some point, I guess you have to say that. Uh, and um, I'm not going to tell you who I'm going for. All right. Stand with me. Actually, don't stand with me yet. Let me get through these quick business things. <clears throat> Uh, we've got a Springhouse Conference coming up, March 7th through 10th, so we hope that your calendar is marked uh, for that. I want to draw your attention specifically, though, to this. On, on March 9th, uh, during the conference, we're going to have something called the Business Collective. Uh, this is going to be a group of people who gather together who own businesses, who are managers of businesses, leaders of businesses, aspiring owners and managers of, of businesses. If that fits you and you're in that demographic, we want to invite you to come to a very special gathering that morning. There's going to be a free breakfast. Tim Hooper is going to be here to speak. There's going to be a couple other speakers as well. Uh, but I want to invite you to be a part of this as a collaborative and an opportunity for uh, those who are in that demographic to be able to come together and worship and also be able to be ministered to at that level. So if that's you, make uh, a point to come on, on March 9th. Uh, seeing Jesus, I said in the early gathering, we're going to stop seeing Jesus on Thursday. That didn't sound right. So that's not what we're doing. We're going to continue to see Jesus. But Pastor Wayne Berry is going to continue to teach our last uh, Thursday night in our six-week series this week, and I encourage you to come and be a part of that. If you come this Thursday night, uh, we're actually going to be meeting in the fellowship hall as opposed to meeting in here because this coming weekend, Jane Eyre opens. And so I want you to make plans to come and be a part of, of that. I know that the, the, the cast has been working very hard, and it's going to be a great show. So come and be us coming next weekend and the weekend uh, after. And then, of course, we're going to continue to travel through the New Testament. I pray that you are reading with us five by five by five. If you need this resource, it is on our website. It is on Planning Center, uh, our church center as well. Uh, and we just want to be navigating through the New Testament together as a church. And so I encourage you to be reading uh, in the New Testament. If you haven't started or maybe you've laxed up, start this week. It's not too late to, to start or to start again. Does that sound good? All right, lastly, there is a meeting for those who are going on the mission trip today at 1230 in the Fellowship Hall. All right, got all of that information out of the way? All right, now, would you stand with me? We're going to read a very short verse. We're going to take a beat from what John the Baptist uh, learned in his life. So let's read this with some gusto, shall we? Here we go. He must increase and I must decrease. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it gives life. And I thank you that the most profound truths are very simple. Let us lean into it today in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, last week we began uh, our new section of our three-part series, His Word, His Life, and His Church. And I have since had multiple people contact me about them giving up their Netflix account and having people stop paying for their Spotify and things like that. And, uh, and if that's you, uh, praise the Lord. And if you still haven't gotten that conviction, I pray that it sets in today. And... Uh, but we're, we're continuing down the road in this series, His Word, His Life. Uh, and last week, uh, we were uncovering the truths about Jesus and his purpose here on earth. And what we, what we learned was that Jesus was always about his father's business. Jesus was always about his father's business. When we look in scripture, it's as if Jesus woke up each day and said, Dad, what do you want to do today? Dad, what do you want today do today? And oh, that we would be a people who would wake up each moment and every encounter 
and every business meeting and every relational conversation and everything we put our hand to, would we be a people that say, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? What do you want me to say in this moment? How do you want me to respond in this moment? Jesus was always about his father's business. We ought to be about the father's business as well. Well, if Jesus was about the father's business, it begs the question, what is the father's business? And God is in the business of loving people. He's in the business of loving people. And the problem is, is that we're not very good at this. And so we need the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to love the unlovable. Have you encountered anyone unlovable this week, this morning, sitting next to them? We need the strength of the Holy Spirit to help us to love people we don't want to love because God is in the business of loving people. Aren't you glad that God did not give up loving you? Despite your challenges, despite you act, despite how you respond, aren't you glad that the heavenly father, the God who breathes stars continued to pursue you relentlessly and he pursues you today. God is in the business of loving people. And in that same vein, isn't this crazy? God uses people to accomplish his purpose. He uses messed up people like you and me to accomplish his purpose. Can you just think about that for just a moment? Think about how flawed and messed up you are. I, well, I am. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty messed up. And, and, and well, Kurt, you're in the spotlight here. So it's just like, a, just Kurt, how messed up you are. Uh, but you're a mess. And the God of the universe desires to use you to fulfill his purpose here on earth. How humbling is that? How amazing, how magnificent is that? And so as Christians, which the word Christian means to be like Christ, if we are Christians, we have a commission to be like him. And so we need to know him over in first John, it says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Well, in order for us to live like Jesus did, we need to be in the word, understanding how he lived. What did he do? How did he respond in situations? What did he say? What was his life like? And so we're just doing somewhat of a flyover over, over these next few weeks, but I encourage you to get into the word. If you are wanting to be like Christ, you got to get into the word to know what Christ was like. We are to be like Christ. And so as a church, we've been talking about being refined. And if you remember last week, I sifted out a few of these things. And so often we, we end up choosing the things that are sparkly and shiny and momentary and, and feel good, taste good, look good in the moment because they draw our attention. They, they catch our attention and we end up picking these things as opposed to the things that are everlasting. The flesh counts for nothing. The spirit counts for everything. And when we choose to live by the spirit, he will do extraordinary things in our lives. Guys, I believe that salvation is just the starting point to a pathway toward complete healing in your life. God wants you to be whole. He wants to use you. He wants to see you perfected and completed. You don't have to stay in the mess that you're in. You can be liberated. You can be set free. But you have to choose the spirit over the flesh. And today, as we continue to step into leaning or leaning into uh, who Jesus is and how he lived his life, today we're going to talk about living a selfless life 
living a selfless life. Jesus lived a selfless life. And I have to tell you guys, I'm a bit scattered this morning because I think the Lord chose the most selfish person in the room to deliver a message about selflessness. Because I'll tell you right now, Kevin O'Day is pretty selfish. Jesus desires us to be selfless. And it's not a far stretch if you know anything about Jesus, to know that he is selfless because it is this selflessness that drove him to the cross of Calvary on your behalf. The sacrifice that he made. And so many examples in scripture where Jesus was acting in a selfless posture. Don't children bother Jesus. He doesn't have time for you. No, let them come to me. Let them be a distraction to my schedule. Jesus, selfless the beggars and the blind men who are sitting on the road. Jesus passes the people, passing them by. Jesus sees them and renders dignity to them. Jesus, selfless. Are you living a life that is selfless? When people look at your life, do you look like him? Do you look like him? So the question that I want us to kind of war with, at least initially here is a simple question that may have a complex, complex answer. And the question is this, who or what is at the center of your life? Who or what is at the center of your life? Make it personal. Ask it with your name. Who or what is at the center of Kevin's life? Well, when I examine my life, I think of a lot of things that at times have taken the center place of my, my life. And if you've been here for quite some time, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a repeat, but that's okay because we need to probably hear this again. And it's true about, about me. Uh, and, and so many of us put these things in the center of our life. You know, I really love to travel. Anybody like to travel? I, if I get a chance to travel, man, sign me up. I love to experience new places. I like to meet new people. I like to experience new things. If you're close to me, you know the very best gift, I think, is the gift of experience, new experiences. And I really love to travel. And there could be a time in my life or periods where travel is at the center of my life. Everything revolves around the opportunity to go, go and travel. But it's not supposed to be in the center of my life. You know, my wife and I, we op operate a school here in town and it takes a lot of hours and a lot of energy and a lot of time to, 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 to operate the school. And, and there's times when the school could be the center of, of my life, but, but it's not the center of my life. It's not supposed to be the center of my life. Spring House. There's a lot of hours and energy emotional investment, spiritual investment, mental investment in this place. But if I'm honest with myself, this is not supposed to be the center of my life. It's an important part of my life, but it's not the center of my life. Now this one I struggle with a lot. I am a foodie. I love, I don't love food. I love good food. I love good food. And uh, there are people that food is the, it's the center of their life. And if I'm not careful, I could easily slide that right in there. But it's not the center of my life. It's not supposed to be the center of my life. God has gifted me and, and just, just so blessed me with friends, multiple friends, colleagues, ministry partners, 
And while they are important to me and, and it's important that we invest in each other's lives, they are not the center of my life, nor should they be. These are my daughters. Hadassah, Lucia, Ruby, and Nora. And there are many people who will spend their, listen to me, will spend their lives putting their kids at the center of their life. And I'm here to tell you that your kids are not supposed to be at the center of your life. They're important. They're very important. These girls are, I mean, they are just life breath to me, but, but they are not at the center of my life. On March 13, 2012, the Lord gave me the gift of my spouse. Beautiful, wonderful, talented, incredible Sherry. And as wonderful as she is and as much as I love her, Sherry's not the center of my life. And so many times we put our spouse at the, the center of our lives. So if none of these people, including your family, Kevin, and your spouse is not the center of your life, who in the world is the center of your life? Well, you know what the answer is supposed to be. But if I'm honest with myself, this is the person who's at the center of my life most often. This is the person who is at the center of the control, the center of decision-making, the center of actions, recourse, responses. I'm at the center of my life most of the time. And here is the issue. Jesus will let me be at the center every single time when I take it. But on the same token, the minute I surrender and give him the center spot, he'll take it. And every time I've dr driven my car into the ditch, literally, literally and figuratively, <laughs> God has met me there every single time because God knows how to right the wrong that you've made. He knows how to right the wrong choices that you've made. He knows how to take away the shame and the guilt that you felt for the bad decisions you've made. And he knows how to right your course every single time. Because at the end of the day, friends, as Rick Warren puts in the first line of purpose-driven life, it is not about you. It's not about you. And the minute we begin to make it about us, that's when we start to get off course. And boy, I have a propensity to make it about me so many times. Your life is not about you. When you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, he has a commission for you to advance his kingdom. And it is all about exalting his son, Jesus. It is all about exalting his son, Jesus Christ. And so most of us as Christians, we begin to ask the question, especially right when, possibly right when we get saved, we ask the question, God, what is your will for my life? Lord, what do you want me to do? But when we look for God's will, if we are at the center, we'll never find it. Because at the center of God's will is always going to be exalting Christ and not exalting yourself. And so sometimes that means he's going to ask you to lay down something that you've been carrying for a long time. That thing that you like, that thing that you perhaps love, that thing that you've invested so much time in. He says, I actually want you to render control of that. Well, God, if I, I'm scared if I let that go. Yeah, I want you to trust me above trusting yourself. Do you trust me? Because finding God's will for your life 
should be more about his will than your life. Finding God's will for your life should be more about his will than it is about your life. And at every turn, every juncture in his will, his son Jesus is honored. His son Jesus is exalted. So Paul gives us some great instruction in his letter to the Philippians. And he says this in chapter two of that letter. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each to your, the interest of others. Each to the interest of others. That humility word sometimes tricks us because we tend to look at the word humility and we tend to define it as us cowering away from the things that God has actually called us to or that we're gifted in or that we're really good at. Do you know that you're actually good at some stuff? Cole, you are actually good at some stuff, buddy. Ben, you are good at some stuff. God has wired you at some stuff. Dan, you're, you're good. There are some things that God has wired inside you that you are actually good, I'll dare say excellent in. Because he's placed them there. And then there's some things that you're just rotten at. That you're not good at. And sometimes we like to be posers and say that we're good at things that we're not good at. But humility is simply confidence in knowing what you can and cannot do. Humility is being confident in what you can and cannot do. I am a good administrator. I'm a good administrator. The Lord has given me that gift. I am not good at playing golf yet. <laughs> One day, but not yet. What are the things that God has placed in your life and wired you to lean into that you're good at? And you say, well, Kevin, what does this have to do with being selfless? It has a lot to do with being selfless because the gifts he's given you are not for you. The gifts he's given to you are to be used as a sacrificial offering to him. It's not to advance the world and its agenda, but it's to advance the kingdom and God's will and agenda and purpose and ultimately to exalt Jesus Christ. And so Jesus modeled this. And in, and in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter two, he continues and he says this, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships with one another, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, so what is the mindset of Christ Jesus? Here it is. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. God Almighty coming in the form of man. Ponder that. Think about that. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. It's one thing to say, I'm appearing to you as you are. But then I'm going to humble myself, says Jesus, to the point of serving the, the one who's going to nail me to the cross. That's who I'm here to serve. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of Jesus's obedience to his selfless posture here on earth, here's what God did. 
he exalted him to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is in really, he has this uncanny knack of rewarding those who will humbly serve him. But the motivation is not the reward. The motivation is the Lord. The motivation is the Lord. And so when it comes to being selfless, when it comes to having a selfless posture about our lives, we have to understand a few things about selflessness. The first thing is this. Selflessness requires sacrifice. If you're going to live a selfless life, if you are in Christ Jesus and you are about living a life that is like Christ, then you have to understand that your selflessness is going to require you to sacrifice. Now, we like little children, how many have more than one kid? I've got more than one kid at home. And when it comes to them having something that belongs to them, it is very hard for them to pry their claws off of it to allow another kid, the other sister to have it. Anybody ever struggle with that? And if there are moments whenever one of the siblings will freely and liberally render that toy or that thing to the other sister, boy, I tell you what, it makes my heart explode. Because when my children sacrifice for one another, it's an expression of love. Selflessness is a derivative of love. Sacrifice is required when it comes to selflessness. And that will mean that it's going to take some of your time it's going to take some of your energy. It's going to take some of your money, your resources. It might even take some of your desires. But selflessness requires sacrifice. And selflessness is rarely convenient. It's rarely convenient. Over in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we are crucified with Christ, that means we wake up every day and we say, not my life, not my agenda, not my plan, but yours, Lord. So as people who desire to be like Christ, is your prayer each morning that you wake up crucified with Christ so that you can look like him in the ensuing conversations with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, with the people you encounter? Because God is in the business of loving people. And it starts with you at your home. It starts before you even get out the door. But you have been crucified with Christ. You are no more. And guys, this is a daily, daily, daily prayer. Because my flesh likes to rear its head every single morning when I wake up. Kevin, what do you want to do? What's your agenda for today? Don't worry about what that person needs or what that person has asked you to do. What do you want to do today? Every day I want my desire to be to serve Jesus Christ. Every day I want my life to look like him. And part of my looking like him is to operate my life in a selfless manner. In a way that doesn't have people looking at me, but has people looking at him. Selflessness requires you to pay attention requires us to pay attention. Guys, if there's anything we don't do, it's pay attention. 
We are not good at paying attention. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they're saying something to you and there are all types of context clues of what they need you to do and what they need from you, but you are just oblivious to it. And you just look at them and go, actually, I guess the one who's giving all the context clues, you're like, they're not getting this one bit, right? Then the person would say, well, just shoot straight with me. Stop making me try to figure it out, right? But even if we figured it out and even if we shot straight with them, the question still remains, would we be in a selfless posture to be able to execute what the other person is needing? I think the most missed opportunities are simple because we don't pay attention. Jesus is always paying attention to the needs of the people around him. People around those, those disciples, those, those selfish disciples, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, God? Who's going to come out on top? Who's going to sit at your right hand? Guys, we are so often like that. We are so fickle. We are so easy. Lord, what, am, what, is, the, what is in this for me, God? Because my selflessness to you, God, only is going to come if I get rewarded. But true selflessness in the kingdom means that he gets the acknowledgement. He gets the, he gets the highlight. He gets the exaltation and not us. And so, like I said last week, I think the biggest culprit in us being about the Father's business and living in this way is that we have a limited availability to him. And I believe God wants our availability to be wide for him, that our yeses, when we put them on the table, our Holy Spirit yeses that we are able to lean into and fully commit to. And that's what I want to talk about for just a second here. You know, we all have lives in this room, every one of us, and our lives are comprised of all types of different things. Uh, and, and, and the things that are comprised in our life aren't necessarily bad things. In fact, I think the Lord's put a lot of the things there. But if you look at this, you know, we've got devotions, we got kids, we have spouses, we have responsibilities, we have friends. You know, God's put your friends in your life. He's put a community in your life. Guys, fun is not a bad thing. You should have fun. Fun is a part of life. Uh, me, having some time just for you, what does that mean? That sounds really self-serving and selfish and kind of opposite of what I'm just saying here today. But what I mean whenever I put me here is me is your mental health. Being, being in a place where you can ask the Lord to show you things about yourself so that you can grow and become more like him. Everybody needs the capacity to do that. Family, work, your ministry. God has called you to do something. We talked about that last week. Recre recreation, rest, all all of these things and there's more all a part of life and here's what we end up doing when we're not if we're not careful we go and we build this life and we say here's my life these are all the things that I'm involved with these are all the things I want to do and I don't mind living a selfless life Lord as long as none of these things are affected I will be selfless when that need comes my way but don't take any of my recreation away from me I will be selfless when, Lord, you bring somebody into my path, but don't take any of my, my work time or my responsibility or my ministry time away. These are too important to me. Lord, don't you know I have built this life here, God? I have put this stuff together, God. Look what I have built, God. Please don't mess with my life, God. I will give you the leftovers instead of the first fruit. But what God would desire would be for you to wake up each day and say, God, you have gifted me with all of these things. But if you want to take every one of them away, be your will done. 
because I'm after what you want, not what I want. You must increase in my life. I must decrease. And I recognize that I wouldn't have any of these things had it not been for you, God. And so we have this life that's built here. We have this wall and, and we're going fine. Everything's going great. I've got my ministry going. I got recreation going fun, family, friends, my spouse. Everything's great. I got my plan. I got my agenda. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you show up. And now you are a part of my life. You are somebody who is broken, who needs something, who needs me to serve you, needs something from me. And here you are in my life. And initially, my flesh sees you as a disruption to everything else that I've got going on. But when people come into your life, the first thing that you ought to do is ask the Holy Spirit, God, what am I supposed to do with this person? Is this person supposed to be somebody that I'm going to help? Because not every good opportunity is a God opportunity. Not every good opportunity is a God opportunity. And listen to me, church, this is what I want you to understand. It is very selfish and self-serving when we make commitments to help people and we renege on our promises. It is very selfish when we commit out of a vein of feeling bad in the moment without consulting the Holy Spirit. And we say, I'm going to walk with you, brother, through this. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to do all this. It is a mark toward Christ when you make a commitment and you renege on that promise. And so our mouths get ahead of what the spirit is actually saying, because every you that walks in my life, I'm not supposed to be the one to minister to. And so I get in trouble. I get in trouble because when I'm trying to minister to the you that's not supposed to be on my path to the you who comes into my path. And I just said yes, because it might make me feel good or I feel like I've got the answer for you. All of a sudden, the people back here, the things that God has called me to, all of a sudden I start to sacrifice. And all of a sudden you become bigger than any of these things in my life. And God says, it never was supposed to be that way because you're operating on your own strength. And here's the thing. You were never supposed to be the hero. You were never supposed to be the shero. When somebody brings, uh, when God brings somebody into your life and he wants you to minister to them, he is the one that's going to do the change, not you. He's using you as a vehicle. He's using you as the pathway. And here's the thing. When he has given you someone to minister to, you don't have the privilege to walk out of their life. It doesn't matter how they treat you. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter when they poo-poo on everything you've done. Because here's the thing. We are called to be doormats for Christ Jesus when he's called us to people. We are called to serve. We are called to be present. What are you going to do? Tell the Lord, no, I'm not going to be there anymore because they didn't give me the accolade that I needed when I helped them. They didn't recognize me for the gift that I gave them. When God has called you to walk alongside somebody, you better do exactly what God tells you to do, no matter what they say, no matter what they do. Because here's the thing. The man left the one, left the 99 to go after the one. And you were the one at some point. And sometimes when we are the one or when they are the one, they don't necessarily want to be rescued. 
But we have a God who is an ever-present help in times of trouble. And sometimes when we get into that place of trouble, it's then when we call out on the name of Jesus for salvation. And you might be the person the Lord wants to use when they actually cry out for help. And if you are thinking about yourself and you abandon the person the Lord has put in your life, then you will not be there when they call out. He does the work, he does the change, but you are the vehicle. Are you being obedient to him? You are not called to help every person on this planet. And church, may I just say that there are people here that God has placed somebody in your life, but you are so distracted that you don't see it right in front of you. One of the most liberating things that I have, I have come to realize over the last two and a half, three years is that it is much better, it's far better to listen to the Holy Spirit and go deep in the relationships he has called me to as opposed to have a bunch of shallow relationships and he's not a part of it. As the body of Christ, as people who are supposed to be like Christ, everyone should have someone that, that they can go to that God has placed in their life because there are a multitude of people that could be used. The question is, are we listening? And are we doing the things that God has told us to do? Are we selflessly serving in the areas he has asked us to? Not the areas that we want to, not the areas that we feel responsible for, but in the areas that he has told us to. If somebody comes into your life and says, I need help, and you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, am I supposed to help this person? What am I supposed to do? And the answer is no. Might I encourage you that instead of saying, hey, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be there for you, all this stuff, instead of all those lies, that's what they are. Instead of all of those things, look them eyeball to eyeball, pray with them and say, I'm going to believe that God is going to bring somebody in your path somebody in your life who's going to minister to your need. And more times than not for me, the Lord brings somebody to mind. And I go and I introduce them and, and then it takes off from there. Guys, God does not need you to be the hero of the story. He wants you to serve selflessly so he gets the honor, so that he gets the glory. You're not supposed to be Superman or Superwoman in everybody's life. In fact, you're enough of a mess you're enough of a mess that you don't have what it takes to clean up everybody else's mess. Not every good thing is a God thing. And lastly, worship team, you can come back. And lastly, selfless love requires nothing in return. If God has called you to be in somebody's life to serve them, to help them, to minister to them, it does not matter what they do or what they say because you weren't doing it for them in the first place. You were doing it for the Lord. You were doing it out of obedience. Can you imagine Jesus, God saying, I want you to go to the cross and Jesus saying, well, look, what, look how they're treating me, God. Look what they're saying about me, God. Dad, look, look, look how they're treating me. And instead, he said, none of that matters because I'm not doing it for them Dad, I'm doing it because you told me to. So, selfless living. Do we look like Christ, church? I want us to be the hands and feet of Christ to each other and to a dying world. 
but it starts with us having the ability to open our ears and hear from the Holy Spirit about which area and who we're supposed to be ministering to. Because when we listen to him and he brings somebody into our life and we serve them fully selflessly, God will do extraordinary things through you, in you, and I will even say for you in the process. And many people will come to know him because of your obedience and the Holy Spirit's work through you. And you get to experience abundant life. You're not stressed. (laughs) You're not stressed. You're not overwhelmed because all of these things back here are still intact. All these things that God has asked you to are given in your life. And yeah, it might require a sacrifice here and there, but you haven't sacrificed everything. You haven't given up everything because God didn't necessarily ask you to. God, you're asking me to abandon my family 100% of the time for this joker over here. Well, if he tells you to do that, then do that. But likely not. Likely not. We've got to stop having people be the heroes and let the Lord do his job. And we need people to step up and actually recognize that God has placed you to be in people's lives as well. So is your yes on the table? Do you look like him? Are you living a life about you? Are you in the center of your life or is he in the center of your life when he's in control? He'll take, here's the thing. I don't have to try to get people to come in my life who who need help. I don't have to look for them. They just, they just, they show up. There's, there they are. And I go, Lord, help me here. And I'll dare even say, guys, Maybe this isn't true. I don't know. This is how I feel. I think the Lord sometimes puts somebody in my life I'm not supposed to help to test me to see what my answer will be. And the other side of the coin, I place this person in your life and it's the last person you want to help, Kevin, but I've placed you in your life because you've got a gift and a calling in your life that they are supposed to benefit from. So what are you going to do, Kev? You're going to get in control and dismiss them Are you going to embrace them the way that I embraced you? The last thing I want to say today, and we'll stand and worship, is this. There may be somebody in here who you feel like you are the one, the sheep of the 99. And you have had too many Christians come up to you and break their promise to you. Can I just tell you that people will always let you down, but the Lord Jesus Christ will never let you down. He sees you, he knows you, and the fact that you are here this morning is the gift and the grace of the Holy Spirit saying, I have not forgotten about your life. And I ask on behalf of those who have lied to you, unintentionally or intentionally, who are supposed to be here, I apologize on their behalf because it is a mark and a scar to Christ Jesus, but don't let that define who he is because he is so much bigger and so much greater than the person who failed you or let you down. So if you're here this morning and you are the one who has, is feeling lost and you're the one who is out there and you, you're dealing with shame and guilt and you felt like somebody was going to be there, but they failed you, I would ask this morning that you might open your heart to the possibility that God is raising somebody else up to be in your life to really show the love of Christ, to be there and to shine for him but ultimately he's the one that's got to do the work. Would you stand with me this morning?
So here's three things that we're going to pray. If you're going to pray, come on up with people. Come on up. Um, First thing is this. If you're that lost sheep and maybe you're abandoned God, maybe you're running from God because some person has hurt you, I want you to come and ask the Lord to heal that wound. The second thing is maybe you're a hero, a shero, a superman, a superwoman, and you need to repent and ask God, Lord, I have filled my schedule. I have filled my life. I have gotten too many people on my, on my agenda, I'm in front of my face, and I'm not supposed to be the one, God, for all these people. Would you give me clarity so that I don't cause hurt and pain and shame? And then lastly, some of you are just here and you have needs. And just like somebody said earlier, I think Jonathan, the book of Hebrews tells us that because of Christ Jesus, we can approach his throne of grace in our time of need. He has mercy for us. So you come today, if that's you, any of those three things. Today is a sweet day in the presence of the Lord. He is God and he is good all the time. Let's worship.